Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Lucas, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. 
Thank you. I'm a really big fan, and I'm really excited to be on this show. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, you know, I came across you by way of a former guest, uh, you know, Sonny Brown, who we had here last year, uh, and uh, I, you know, your book was was sent to me, and the subject matter was immediately intriguing to me because I felt that it was one that we you know, maybe pay lip service to, but we don't talk about in detail, uh, which is this whole idea of navigating the psychological journey of entrepreneurship, which which we'll get into. But before we do that, uh, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, your story, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today and, and this book? Absolutely. So I've been a programmer for about 20 years. Uh, I started in the open source kind of PHP, Ruby sort of stuff. Uh, and I read a lot of the stuff like Paul Graham's hackers and painters that inspired me as a programmer to think, okay, I can build anything in this new world. Uh, and putting up websites and knowing that anybody in the world could access them. And, you know, I started doing that when I was in middle school when, you know, as a kid, you feel like you don't have a lot of power to influence the world. And, and when a middle schooler can post something and anybody in the world can read it, that's kind of, it, it just changed the way I thought of the whole world in, in that moment. Uh, and so I've really been interested in the web and startup culture for a long time. But like a lot of people, I was scared to take the leap. So I joined startups. I, I helped build startups. Uh, I watched other founders. Uh, I was one of the first employees at Mog, which sold to Beats Audio, which just sold to Apple. And uh, so I'd been part of the startup community for a while. I'd made a name for myself. I'd written a book about the Ruby programming language that did pretty well. and uh, But I've always wanted to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. So about five years ago, uh, I finally mustered up the courage. And I, I said, OK, I'm going to go for it full on, quit my job, uh, and decided I'm going to do it and uh, raise money for this. I was going to go out and raise venture capital was my plan. Uh, and so I told my wife. And uh, and. Why she said yes to me uh, to this day is a complete mystery because uh, at the moment I told her I wanted to quit my job, uh, she was about three months from having our first child. And so how like a, a, a nine-month-old uh, pregnant woman could say yes to me quitting my job, uh, our only source of income, will always be a mystery to me, but she did. Uh, and I thought, okay, just it'll take maybe a couple months to raise the venture capital. But it was six months later before I had even the first angel investor check, which was a relatively small amount compared to what I wanted. Um, and we were almost bankrupt. It was just we had already had our kid. He was he was a few months old. I still had no income and no health insurance, and it was just one of the most terrifying moments of my entire life. Uh, but you know, it all worked out and, and turned out great. And in retrospect, my wife is thrilled that we both decided to take that adventure together. Hmm. You know, I, I want to go back to, to the very beginning of this as you know, you being a kid tinkering and, and playing with, uh, you know, technology, how, how is being a programmer, um, and being a computer scientist, I guess, influenced and shaped the way you see the world. And the reason I asked that question is because programming was this just world of anarchy and difficulty to me when I tried it in college, and and you know because of, of Matan Grafell, who we had here very recently uh, at one, you know, who's the founder of a startup called One Month, I decided to give it another shot and see if I could learn Ruby on Rails. But how how has that shaped the way you do the work you do and the way you see the world? Uh, in in a few different ways. One of the ways is that uh, programming is like puzzles, and you have an idea for this program that you want to build, uh, and it's a very creative thing. You start out with nothing, just like a writer seeing a blank page. You start out with absolutely nothing, and uh, you just have to start writing. And in this case, the, the language you're writing is not the English language, although it has resemblances to it. It's, it's a language that is part English and part computer. Uh, and, and you start creating. And in the creation process, it's a puzzle. You have this idea in your head of what you want the computer to do. And the computer has ideas of how it, it will accept the languages that you give it. Uh, and you have to just puzzle it out. And one of the most interesting parts about being a programmer is the fact that it's, it's a, 
you do so much more debugging of problems right. uh, than, than actually having success. It's like you're, the stamina for dealing with programs and programming stuff that doesn't work uh, is something that you have to really be, uh, you have to embrace it. As a programmer, a professional programmer deals much more in failed programming uh, and trying to fix it and trying to figure out where things are going wrong than they do in, in, uh, in working with programs that actually work. Hmm. So th- this idea of looking at uh, things as puzzles, how is that translated into other parts of your life? And how might we translate this concept of, of looking at things as puzzles to be solved or put together uh, into uh, well, aspects of our lives? I'll actually tell you uh, a place where I, I tried to apply it and it actually didn't work for me, which was... Um, uh, when I was trying to raise venture capital for my uh, first startup, is uh, I thought this was a puzzle. I thought, okay, I have to figure out, I have to puzzle out what are the right words in the right order that mm-hmm. I have to tell these people for them to write me a million dollar check. What what is it? Uh, I eventually figured out what it was because I I raised ten million dollars, but um, but. At first, I approached it as uh, as a puzzle, and I real I came to realize that that was actually the exact wrong way to approach it because it it wasn't about saying what somebody else wanted to hear, hmm. which is what I think a lot of entrepreneurs start out thinking when they think, okay, I'm I've got this great business idea. All I need to do is raise capital for it, and it'll all be great. Uh, that's kind of how I felt too. But then I approached it as okay, you know what. What is it that I have to say to these people to get them to write their checks, which uh, ended up making me not see these people as people. <laughs> I saw them as barriers to getting what I wanted rather than as people. And once I started to really embrace the fact that investors are people and investment is more about the relationship with those people than about convincing them. Uh, it really changed the way I approached the entire thing. It was really about, uh, and when you think about it, it's almost absurd how little amount of time an investor will spend with a entrepreneur mm-hmm. before they write them a check for hundreds or, or millions of dollars. Uh, it's it's you know you might meet them five or six times for a, a couple hours each, you'll do some diligence on them. But that's really, when you think of it, that's just a small, small amount of time to really make a commit, a really significant commitment. And when you realize that there's, you can't really say anything, there's no magical words to say to convince somebody to give you that kind of money. It's really based on, do you trust this person? Is this somebody you get along with? Can you see yourself working with them for years to come? Because startups uh, generally last, the, the, the exits for startups will generally come seven to 10 years in. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that a lot of people don't realize up front. Those early exits, the one to three year, you know, I'm going to make $20 million exit to Google are very atypical. The, the much more typical kind of exit scenario is seven to 10 years. Mm-hmm. So you're really making a long-term commitment to building a relationship that you stay with somebody as a business partner for a long time. And so it's a lot more about that interpersonal thing than it is about uh trying to convince them that your business is a great idea. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting when I, when I hear you talk about this idea of puzzles and, and trying to treat human beings like, you know, puzzles to be solved. Uh, it it kind of makes me think through my own creative process of how we do things and, and how we attempt things uh, with anything we've done, uh, whether it be events. Right now, we're, we're playing around with an idea for consulting. And what we thought was, okay, write some copy, put up a landing page, and let's just see how the world responds. Uh, it's a process, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Sims, but he talks about this idea of little bets. And I think that we get so obsessed with trying to complete the puzzle that we don't ever consider what feedback that first piece of the puzzle gives us. Yes. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's as moving from a programmer to an entrepreneur, one of the biggest changes has been in real, as a programmer, you spend all your time behind a computer screen and there's very little that you need to socialize. And usually the socialization times in your life are uh, contentious uh, mm-hmm. because you're just not good at it. And moving into being an entrepreneur, uh, 
about 90% of the time you are socializing in one form or another. You're either building a team, recruiting a team, uh, fundraising. So it's a very, very social process. And, and that was a big shift uh, for me uh, becoming an entrepreneur. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Uh- you know, let's talk about really, I think, the gist of what I want to spend most of our time talking about. You know, you mentioned in the beginning that you overcame the fear and found the courage to take a leap. Uh, and I'm, I'm really interested in hearing in more depth about managing that process and, and how you basically overcame the fear and found the courage to take a leap. And, of course, how people find it in their own lives with whatever Absolutely. they're doing. Yeah, because uh, I was somebody that... that had just as much fear as, as anybody else. In fact, uh, I wanted to do startups for almost 10 years before I quit my job to do them. And during those 10 years, it's not that I wasn't trying. I was doing stuff on the side. I had uh, had ideas. I had built out uh, startup ideas in in the night times. Uh, I had bought startups um, or, or websites that I thought I could turn into startups. So I'd done every kind of imaginable, like small scale, like build it yourself sort of things that you can think of. Uh, but I never really committed. I never fully jumped in saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on any one idea mm-hmm. uh, until I started with this, uh, this startup five years ago. And so I was, I was very afraid of doing that. And one of the things that uh, really surprised me when I finally made that commitment and finally did it was that the fear didn't go away. I thought that <laughs> I thought that fear was something to be conquered. Yeah, that it was something to be sublimated and uh, and turned into you know dust or just disappear. I thought that fear was something that I'd have to wait for it to go away, or I thought that courage was something that if if i had enough of it it would i'd have this feeling of courage that would overpower this feeling of fear and none of that ever happened to me mm-hmm. uh fear was one of the primary things i felt uh in very 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 uh visceral way every morning i'd wake up and I, my brain was telling me this is a stupid idea that i needed to stop doing this that that I just need, I was making, before I quit my job, I was making as much as I'd ever made programming before. My, my programming career was going great. And since then, programming, programmers are becoming even more and more in demand. So it's like my brain was saying, keep going on the normal track. Don't do this. Uh, you are doing just fine. There's no need to, to risk everything. This is not going to go anywhere. None of your other startups went anywhere. None of your side projects went anywhere. You never made any money doing anything else. Who are you to think that, that this is going to do any better than anything else? It was this soundtrack that was playing in my head just repeatedly, and it was brutal, and it was a lot worse than I make it sound here. I don't think that the words uh, would be appropriate on this podcast, but mm-hmm. it was just my brain was torturing me, and I realized that... You just have to uh, be okay with those words being said in your head and decide to walk forward anyway. Mm. And one of the craziest parts of it was that it's not that the words are wrong. So your head, your brain tells you these things and it's, it's not like anything it was telling me was false. So it, it, was it true that I was making as much money as ever? Yes. Like, should I... It, do most people just continue on that career tra- trajectory? Yes. It was like it didn't say anything that that wasn't true, which made it even harder not to listen to. Mm-hmm. But it was something that inside of me, I knew I had to just keep going. So I would wake up, I'd hear these voices, and I would say, okay, I hear you. I acknowledge you exist. And yet, I'm going to do this anyway. I pick up the phone and talk to some investors. I send out some emails, getting some introductions. I make progress regardless of what my head is telling me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just keeping at that was one of the most transformative moments of my life. I think if if there was one thing uh, about doing the entire startup experience that I treasure more than anything, it wasn't the money it wasn't the experience of 
uh, actually creating the company. It wasn't uh, you know, servicing the hundreds of thousands of developers that I did after I built the company. All of those things were great, uh, but the real treasure to me was understanding that I had a power inside of me deeper than what my brain told me to do. Hmm. So uh, let me ask you this. When you're experiencing all those things and external reality seems to just keep validating all the fear you're feeling and external reality doesn't seem to be showing any progress, how do you, how do you deal with that? It's one of those things that uh, that was the case for me for six months. Uh, I, I had thought that, that it was going to be a lot easier to fundraise. It wasn't. Uh, I didn't end up uh, with, with a dime of investor capital for many, many months. Uh, and yet I kept at it. Uh, and part of it, it wasn't that I was completely blinded by my own uh, thoughts about how good the company was. The company was taking off uh, in a way that actually I'd never seen any of my side projects ever take off. So there was this, uh, the company itself it felt like I had actually hit on a uh, oil well that really had a lot of oil pent up and it was just gushing because uh, usually what what would happen when I had these side project ideas I'd build them out and that would take many months uh, of of nighttime programming binges uh, and then I'd launch it and I thought oh what a brilliant idea I've I've just created something out of nothing and now I'd launch it and nobody comes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I spend some time. I, I see if I can, you know, post it here or there and try to get some people on. Usually I'd get like a dozen, a couple dozen people. And then I'd be like, this is a lot of effort and nobody seems to be coming. I give up. Uh, and then I'd do something similar and I'd get similar results. And it's like, you know, I might get 100 people to sign up and then I'd give up. It'd be like, it was just... There was no momentum behind any of these projects I had done before. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, the, the startup where I quit my job, it was different. Uh, when, uh, usually when I have ideas, I would go out and build them. But this time I was like, I think I'm going to, you know, I was tired that night. So I was like, instead of going on a programming binge for this idea, I'm just going to register the domain name and put a few words about it. I didn't really even, like, the the idea of a landing page didn't mm-hmm. really, five years ago, it wasn't, like, a hot thing to do. So I didn't even know what that word landing page was. I just thought I'm going to put a few words up here and an email capture form uh, just because I was tired and I didn't want to do the rest of the work. Um, and so I did that, and I stuck a link on Hacker News, and I fell asleep. I didn't stay up to see what happened. I was just too tired. Uh, in the morning, I had 800 people signed up. Wow. For a service that I hadn't built yet. Uh, and that had never happened to me before. That, that was something I usually <laughs> couldn't, would, would struggle to get 12 people to sign up. Uh, and that was, that was the first moment I was like, wow, this is something like, that I haven't experienced before. Yeah. Uh, but then it got weirder for me because, so I was like, okay, now I started to build the thing. Uh, and a couple weeks later, I had this rough, rough prototype. And I go back to check it, check on the list. I hadn't posted it anywhere else. I hadn't tried to get anybody else signed up. I went back to the list, and there were 2,000 people signed up. And then a few weeks later after that, it was 4,000. It was like, where are all these people coming from? Uh, and it kept growing like that way faster than anything I'd experienced in my life before that. And that kept pushing me on. That kept telling me, you know, it. I haven't had success fundraising yet, but I believed in the growth that that I was on to something that I had hit on a nerve, and that that was this nerve was something that was much more important than uh, the kinds of ideas I'd had before. Hmm. So let me ask you this. Well, let's talk about uh, quitting. Uh, knowing when to quit and how you get back up after you fall. Absolutely. So knowing when to quit is one of those things that um, is, it's a trick. There's an art to it and it's not an exact science. 
but one of the things that uh, I've recognized from 10 years of doing side projects that no, went nowhere uh, and then coming across this, this idea that eventually raised $10 million and eventually was acquired after that uh, was understanding that in entrepreneurship and startups, it's really a speculative process that there's, it's a, you're doing speculation. And this is something I didn't understand before. Before I kind of felt like you have an idea that you think is a great idea. And so you build it uh, and, and people should come to it because it's, you think it's a good idea and you built it. So it seems like it's almost like you deserve to find success. That's kind of how I felt for many years. Uh, and, now I realize that we are we as entrepreneurs are speculating on ideas, on concepts. And the nature of speculation is you don't know and you cannot predict uh, whether the coin is going to end up a heads or a tails. Mm-hmm. And that uh, so the trick in speculation, in fact, if you're flipping a coin, there's actually a technique that mathematicians have found. Uh, for, for an optimal betting technique for speculating on a coin flip. So, like, if you were just to say, I'm going to put all my money into a coin flip, uh, you could lose it on a single coin flip. And you could go bankrupt in one flip, right? Uh, and so that would, that would not be an optimal strategy for making the most money you can uh, speculating on coin flips. But on the other hand, let's say you put a 1% of your money bet on a coin flip. Well, you're never. You're not going to go bankrupt that way. Mm-hmm. You can't go bankrupt if you're only risking one percent of your money. But it's not an optimal strategy either because uh, you're not. It's going to take a lot of one percent gains. The upside is not. Uh, there's this balance, a tension between the upside uh, potential in mm-hmm. speculation and the bankruptcy potential. And so you've got these two tensions at either end. And in, in startup ideation, you've got the similar tensions. Uh, on the one side, you know, any startup idea might be the next Apple. Uh, but most of them are going to go nowhere and end up going bankrupt. And so how do you balance that tension is the question is, is how do you know when to give up? And in, in the coin flip technique, uh, it's actually 25%. Uh, 25% gets you the optimal outcome. If you, uh, if you bet 25% of your money on a single coin flip uh, and you always re-optimize, so if you bet 25% uh, of $1,000, that's $250, uh, and you lose, now you have $750 to play with. Now you bet 25% of 750 Mm-hmm. So if you do that over and over, mathematicians have shown that that creates the uh, the best expected outcome. It's it's a big enough bet that you're all in for uh, when you get it right, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not too big that it, your expected bankruptcy is uh, is not not around the corner. Mm. And so it's kind of that middle ground. Uh, and one of the really important parts I think about startup ideation is understanding uh, th- that kind of balance is. Uh, putting enough of yourself into your idea to give ideas a chance. If you put in 1% of your time and effort, uh, it's not enough to really cultivate whether an idea is a good one or a bad one if you're going to see success from it. Mm -hmm. You really have to uh, give enough of yourself and enough of your time uh, to really give it a fair chance. Uh, But on the other hand, and this is the more common problem, is a lot of entrepreneurs will hold on to a bad idea long past the point and, you know, go with it until it goes bankrupt and take themselves bankrupt with it. And that's the more common problem. And so what do you do to try to help prevent against that? Uh, When you're doing uh, investing in the public stock market, there's these things called stop losses. So you can put in an order that that doesn't get executed. So let's say you buy 100 shares of Apple stock. Uh, you can put in an order to sell that 100 shares of Apple stock if the price goes down 10%. Mm-hmm. So you, 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 know, you hope that the Apple stock is going to keep going up forever. But if it ever drops more than 10%, once it hits 10%, you're out. 
and you can actually make it a trailing stop. So it'll go if it goes up, if if your Apple stock doubles in the price, uh, it'll still be uh, 10% down from the maximum value. And so this concept of trailing stop is a really interesting one when you're speculating because you never know in the stock market when you're going to reach the top of the stock market, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have a trailing stop, then you know that you're never going to go more than 10% lower. So if the stock market is going to crash 50%, uh, you're still out at 10%. Hmm. So the taking that back to startup ideation, knowing when to quit, how can you put stop losses on your own entrepreneurial ideas? Uh, and in entrepreneurial idea, uh, ideas, it's not money that you're putting stop losses on. It's time. Mm -hmm. Time is the currency when, when you're creating startup ideas, not money. And so the, the stop loss is based on the amount of time you put into any idea. You have to, have an, you have to put in enough time to give it an actual chance to be a, a real success. But then you also have to know you know, this idea is not taking off. This is not the oil gusher that, mm -hmm. it, that it should be. Uh, and so I'm going to move on to the next one. I'm going to move on to the next coin flip. And so finding that balance is, is very hard. For me personally, there's this concept that I like a lot where, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you can't stop thinking about an idea, then it's it's not stop lost out. But the moment you wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and you are no longer passionate, you are no longer like, you have to make yourself think about it because you think of it almost as a job. Like you, you kind of feel like you should be thinking about it, but it's not that you're driven to think about it. That's kind of like a sign. That's like the 10% fall sign that it's time to stop loss this out. If you're, if it no longer captures your own imagination, Move on to the next idea. It's a coin flip. Uh, you know, m might it have success if you keep putting time in? Yes, but the the better chance is that you're just going to go with it till till it goes bankrupt. And as you are the coin flipper, you are the one that your chances are better to find a gusher of an idea if you keep moving on and giving yourself uh, new coin flips to to wait for the big one to come. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. As you, as you mentioned that, I can't help but think about something that Steve Jobs said in that graduation speech that he gave at Stanford. And it's something that I've actually done just as an experiment. I think the most important part of that speech is when he says, you know, ask yourself every single day, if this was the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And I, you know, I, I've done that for a few days in a row. There have been days when I've actually said no. Uh, you know, fortunately, today wasn't one of those days. I haven't had enough days in a row where I've said no that it made me think, all right, it's time to quit. Uh, that being said, I mean, we didn't hit our stride until I think four and a half years into this, really. Yeah, uh, and that happens. But if, but if you like, if you're the kind of person that doesn't keep an interest in anything for four and a half years, then mm-hmm. this this kind of idea might not be the right idea for you. This kind of the stop loss concept is one that you have to come up with on your own based on knowing yourself, right. based on understanding yourself. If you're the kind of person that uh, you have like HDA hyper attention deficit disorder, it's like you this would not work for you because every idea would get stop lost out mm-hmm. but uh, if you go ahead sorry go ahead sorry go ahead oh if you are the kind of person that uh that really can uh be passionate on my, about an idea for years uh and it doesn't matter whether uh that idea really takes off or not then there's nothing wrong with doing that idea. Like mm-hmm. that's that's what's called a hobby, and there's nothing wrong with hobbies. So let me ask you this. Um, interestingly enough, what this makes me really think about is the emotional investment we have in our work and finding that balance between being uh, overly emotionally invested in the outcomes of our work and and not. Because I can tell you that one of the big challenges that I have personally faced and, and started to really deal with is learning to separate my identity as a person from the performance of how we have done as a business. And it's a struggle that I've faced this year as, you know, in the last year, as we've gone through sort of a roller coaster ride. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the most critical parts of, uh, of being an entrepreneur is understanding that this is a game that's it's not like this is a job like like uh having a regular day job in a day job you don't have to worry about uh are you overly personally committed to any one idea or not it's it, you know you do what you're told and and you get a paycheck every month and it's just the same same paycheck there's no there's no more in the paycheck there's no less um and and that's it's kind of just a regular uh, a regular hit in when you're dealing with uh, entrepreneurship, it is it's your responsibility because you are speculating. It, when you have a day job, it is not speculation. Uh, when you are an entrepreneur, you are speculating, and when you're speculating, you can easily go broke if you hold on and if you personalize every startup idea you have. If you become your startup ideas, mm-hmm. then you go down with them in flames because most most startup ideas are bad and most end up being thrown away and, and never going anywhere. And that's just part of the game. That's just one of those things that it's uh, it's it's how this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's actually really really interesting. Uh, so, so I want to ask you two questions around that. I can tell you that there have been moments where I have gone down with my work and it's led to crippling anxiety and depression. 
um, which it turns out, as I did research on this, founder depression and, and things that are really, really stressful uh, aren't uncommon. Uh, like I, I was amazed at the amount of research I had found on this. And I, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about that, you know, through the lens of your own journey and kind of things that you've seen. Absolutely. Uh, I think that, that founder depression is one of those things that, uh, that is very, very common and very under talked about, uh, and is something I have personally, uh, gone through depressive points in my life. Uh, I know what that feels like, um, I have been through incredibly stressful moments of my life, uh, and I have this tendency to, uh, and I don't know if you share this tendency, but this is kind of one of my things, is uh, is I get really excited about ideas, and then I really amp up the pressure that I have, I put on myself. I, I, it's like I put all of this weight on my shoulders uh, to make it work, mm-hmm. and, and so... I have these expectations, you know, this quarter we're going to hit these numbers. Uh, and, you know, something goes wrong, something goes left field, and I've got all this pressure. Uh, and sometimes, I don't know if you've felt this, but sometimes you you stand there and you're just, you come into work completely stressed out. Your hair is all over the place. You're, you're a grump to everybody around you. You're lashing out to people at the house, to people... Uh, at work, uh, and you know, you sit there. I don't know if you've had this, but you sit there and you're like, "Who is? Why do I feel so much stress? Who is uh, holding me to these uh, intense uh, numbers, figures, you know, whatever expectations? Who's holding me to these expectations?" And realizing that it's myself, that I'm the one, that there isn't like even my board doesn't expect me. To, to do these, um, to hit these numbers, that I'm the one uh, putting all this pressure on myself and I get myself in these amped up cycles. Has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Without and, a doubt. And it's, it's one of these tendencies that I've seen myself do it enough times that now uh, I even try to create uh, structures around me to help me recognize it before it's gotten that bad. So now my most closest friends, the ones, you know, the ones on my executive team that I, uh, most confide in the ones that are really dear friends to me, my wife, the people that are really close to my life. I, I try to encourage them. Uh, you know, we, we talk after I've gone through kind of these really, uh, bad moments, uh, we talk about what was it that kind of led up to this uh, and try to look for signs, early signs uh, mm-hmm. that things are uh, that I'm that I'm getting myself into one of these bad cycles mm-hmm. uh, and using my friends and support system around me uh, in order to act as a mirror and an early warning sign like a, a smoke alarm, because mm-hmm. if you don't engage the people around you in your life to help you act as smoke alarms, they're never going to. They're never going, nobody's going to come up to you and say, hey, Lucas, can I be your smoke alarm today? Can I help you like prevent these massive uh, anxiety attacks? Nobody, it just doesn't happen. You have to uh, proactively, and usually you can't, it's hard to do this when you're in the middle of one of these attacks, but uh, afterwards, once you've kind of, uh, you, it's hit the worst and it's brought you down and you're kind of in like the recovery phase where it's it, the, the, the bad thing is passed, but you're still in like a funk mm-hmm. thinking about how you got there. It's, it's almost never a one-off. It's almost always cyclical and, and you can look back and you can see some patterns and you can ask your friends around you, you know, what is it, you know, what are the kinds of things you see me do? So like, for me, sometimes uh, if I'm building anxiety, uh, I might come into work and I might bombard people uh, with, you know, go find this number, go find that number, go do this report for me. So I might come up with a whole bunch of new tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the signs that, uh, that something might be brewing, something might be coming on. Uh, and it's one of those early signs that 
before one of these massive attacks happens, um, you know, that's one of it's a kind of a manic um, trying to gather information to try to understand this because I'm a like a puzzler, so I, I'm like, okay, well, all I need to do to figure out this puzzle is get more information mm-hmm. uh, and get more views on it, and so that's just one of my tendencies, and so now. Uh, I have my friends and family around me that understand that. And now they can be like, hey, Lucas, like, pause. Like, this might be, you might be going into uh, one of your cycles. And, and that that can be uh, an immensely useful technique because only when you can see and understand your own cycles are you able to create infrastructure around you. Uh, to pre- to to have smoke detectors and early intervention on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You brought up the word manic, and to me, you know, one of the things I, I realized, at least as far as my own tendencies that that I, I saw, is a sort of manic uh, thing that happens when we go from extreme success to what comes after it, which is nothing sometimes. And I, I saw that it was it was devastating to me to see. To go from you know really 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 an extreme high where everything for months on end seemed like we couldn't fail, to suddenly experiencing you know losses that I, I just couldn't imagine happening, and it, it actually sent me into a tailspin, uh, which I, I haven't really talked about very much uh, on the show, but that was a really really profound and difficult lesson for me in you know letting myself not be emotionally invested in the outcomes of my work. Yeah, either good or bad. Yeah, and. Uh, one of the things that I find really interesting is to explore what it is, why it is that we put this pressure on ourselves in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because that question is a super, super interesting one. In fact, I feel like, you know, entrepreneurship, a lot of people get into it because they, and including me, uh, get into it because they, they think they want money. Uh, and for many years, I saw entrepreneurship as a ticket to wealth. Uh, and, th- you know, honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not a bad motivation. Some people might say that's a, like, you shouldn't say that or it's a, you know, taboo. It's, it's just the truth. And there's, there's honestly, there's nothing that, that's not a inherently evil thing. It's, it's fine to want money. That, that, that you, there's no shame in wanting money. There's no shame in wanting to have financial independence and be able to spend three months of the year in the Bahamas like Richard Branson does. It's like that's, th- There's nothing wrong with that inherently. But what's really interesting is uh, to that there's this other side of entrepreneurship that there's an opportunity within entrepreneurship for personal growth that a lot of people just completely miss out on because they're so focused on some of the monetary outcomes that they don't even realize some of these opportunities. So just talking about what we just did about uh, some of these manic, depressive, uh, anxiety things that happen in, in everybody's life, not just entrepreneurs, uh, you know, in entrepreneurship, having a team, having family around you and having them create a support system, that's an example of personal growth. That's an example of being able to learn something about yourself to make yourself a better person that isn't as susceptible to some of the uh, big ups and downs, uh, a more stable person. Uh, that's personal growth. And mm-hmm. that's just the tip of the iceberg of what's possible with personal growth inside of entrepreneurship. And I think that, you know, it's interesting to think, because a lot of entrepreneurs, they want to be Steve Jobs or they want to be, um, you know, the, the Elon Musks of the world. Uh, and they, they idolize them and they, they see them and all of the external wealth that they've created, the Bill Gates of the world and, and how much money they have. And a lot of people sit around and they think, what would I do with all that money? Like, hmm, like... I'd get a massage every day. I'd go buy a jet. Like they think about those kinds of things, but uh, very few entrepreneurs think about uh, that external wealth as a metaphor. That Steve Jobs and Bill Gates is a metaphor for the internal wealth that entrepreneurship can bring. Hmm. And I think that that's kind of more accessible and more real to every entrepreneurship than the uh, one in a trillion 
startups that that uh, almost nobody is going to reproduce an Apple outcome, mm-hmm. but all, every entrepreneur has inside them the capability of finding personal growth through entrepreneurship. Uh, and you know, one of the kind of if you're interested in doing that for yourself, one of the first things to do is start pulling on the thread. Why is it that we put that pressure on ourselves? So if you accept that you're the one pressuring yourself and, and being, you know, uh, uh, putting the, that weight on your shoulders, why is it that you're doing that? What is it that motivates you to create such a situation and cyclically create it, create it for yourself over and over again? What is it behind yourself that makes you want to do that? Uh, or not want to, but do that. What is, what is it and why does that exist is a really interesting question. And it's taken me many, many years to really explore that, uh, that onion. And I don't know if there's any, like, there's with like any onion, there's just endless amounts of layers. So it's, there's never an end to that exploration. But a lot of entrepreneurs never even go a few layers in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting as you're, you're talking about this, you, know, you mentioned Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, and you may have seen this. There's actually a post on Quora uh, that a kid in college actually wrote uh, about, you know, how do I become like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, uh, you know, Richard Branson, and Justine Musk actually replied to it. And if you haven't read it, I'll link this up in the show notes for, for, for you listening. Uh, it was really, really interesting to see what her response was because I don't think anybody realizes that that level of success comes at a, a very, very steep cost, one that maybe the average human being isn't willing to pay as much as they might think they are. Yeah. And if that success is a metaphor for the internal wealth that you can create for yourself and, and for, uh, for those around you, uh, that success is accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Uh, you know, one of the things that you brought up uh, was you know being on the brink, brink of bankruptcy with a kid, uh, you know, and your wife. I'm I'm interested in you know managing the psychology of all this in the context of intimate relationships and with the people in our lives and our family because I think for me that's one place that at least I feel a lot of pressure has come from is that uh, I've had this very idealized version of myself that has been kind of perpetuated by the culture that I grew up in. And I definitely not lived up to it. And I'd be really interested in and hearing, you know, your perspective on expectations from the culture that were cultures were brought up in and kind of, you know, dealing with this in, in the context of our relationships with family, intimate relationships, all of that. Absolutely. Uh, what a wonderful topic. It's, um, you know, for me, my wife is the most important person in my life. And uh, without her, I would not have uh, been able to make it through uh, uh, to be an entrepreneur to to keep going at it. Her support has has been uh, a keystone to to every accomplishment I've ever had, and and I'm fully aware of that. But it's not been easy, uh, and and marriage alone is not an easy thing all the time. Uh, and add that to entrepreneurship, where you've got these. Uh, big highs and low lows and and you're putting everything on the line and and you're go potentially going into bankruptcy you know money problems uh, much smaller kinds of money problems have torn a- apart many relationships before and so uh, understanding for me that what what it was that uh, kept me and my wife together and kept us close uh, it, you know, it, it was a lot of hard work, and it was uh, prioritization. It was. It really comes down to uh, where are your priorities. And for me, I always knew that startups were clearly a priority, but that my wife was uh, just as important a priority for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whenever I forgot that, I needed to reconnect there because. Um, you know, for me, the thing that uh, in that is in my head uh, about my relationship with my wife is that uh, if we're not on the same team, 
if we're not acting like we're on the same team, if we're, then something is wrong with the way I'm acting in life. Something's wrong with me or with uh, my outlook or with my actions uh, or with my health. If, if I'm not acting like my wife is on my team, and there's many ways that that can come about. If I'm lying to my wife, if I'm not telling her the whole truth, if, if I'm you know, saying, oh, we're fine, don't worry about the money, like, uh, I've got that all covered when the reality is the exact opposite, uh, and I'm just trying to get her off my back or trying to um, you know, hide some, some of the scarier aspects of what's going on, uh, you, know, you might think, oh, I'm trying to protect her from this craziness. It's, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, it, it is not, you're not on the same team. And if you can't be on the same team, uh, if you're not working together as a team uh, during these hard moments, uh, then you have sacrificed. Uh, to me, my, wife, my relationship with my wife is one of my core values. I've sacrificed my core value uh, by, uh, by thinking that I had more important end goals. Mm-hmm. And whenever you sacrifice your core values, uh, it's a sign that something's wrong and that something is out of balance in your life. Well, yeah, that's 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 a whole other landmine we could dig into. Um, another lesson that I've learned, you know, when I when I did stuff that was completely out of alignment with my values, it changed my work for the worse, and I didn't realize that. Um, and yep. sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you have to learn. The only way you can learn is the hard way. Uh, this actually brings up another question around this. Do you think that it it takes a certain type of person to weather the storm of being in a relationship with an entrepreneur? Because I can't help but think of something my friend AJ Leon's um, wife, Melissa, said, you know, when he left his, you know, high profile investment banking job four days before his wedding. She said, I don't care as long as I have the real you. I'm happy to sleep under the Brooklyn Bridge as long as I have you. Yep. Yeah, it definitely takes a special uh, kind of person to to live with an entrepreneur and uh i don't know like that's such a uh, amazing amount of um uh of belief and love and support uh and and my wife has shown me the same thing i don't know how i got so lucky to find somebody that that is like that but it it definitely takes somebody special hmm. so and when you find that person you do not let go <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, you know, you've made money, clearly, from, from our chat here. I'm really interested in, in kind of your perspective on money and wealth. And uh, I mean, you've given us some, of the, some component of it through internal. I mean, how do you view money now? And uh, you know, how do you have an internal narrative around money that actually serves you? How do you develop one? Uh, the interesting thing uh, is that advice about money uh, almost never does any good because the, our own internal narratives about money are so strong that hearing other people's uh, take on it almost never changes that. It's really a personal thing. Um, and uh, there's a, um, a great book um, by Felix Dennis, yep, who, uh, who yep, um, The Narrow Road, Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was, it's an extremely influential book to me. It's, it's very short and really, really packed with great things. He, he founded Maxim magazine and, um, he passed away recently from a uh, throat cancer. Uh, but his book is just fantastic. And one of the, and he has made boatloads of money, just amazing amounts of money, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and, his book, I love the way he approaches it because he doesn't tell you uh, the answer. Uh, he kind of teases you. He, he says that uh, once you have achieved this, uh, you know, you're going to be surprised at how you think about money, but I'm not going to tell you exactly how. Hmm. And uh, it's kind of a tease, but I'll, I'll give you kind of uh, my Interpretation. So I'll give you the Cliff's notes of what I think he actually meant, even though like uh, he didn't tell you specifically. What what I think he meant is that uh, the problems that you think money can solve don't get solved by money. 
<laughs> the a lot of people think that if only they had money that they would um, have better relationships, that they'd be happier, that they'd be more content, that things would be life would be easier. But life itself, the human condition, is is essentially problem after problem. And there are problems, no matter if you are Elon Musk, uh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, or Lucas Carlson, it's, there's no, there, you can't avoid problems. Problems are life. Suffering is life. And uh, so there's no amount of money in the world that will relieve you from the human condition, uh, which is a it's kind of a myth that people keep in their heads is, is that money uh, will unlock uh, kind of a lot of um, positive things in their life. Uh, and it, it, it's not that money doesn't. Uh, like money does change your life. It doesn't take away, it doesn't take away the fact that your life is still a series of big problems. Hmm. Well, Lucas, this has been just uh, absolutely amazing and really, really eye-opening, insightful. And you know, I appreciate your willingness to go into so much depth around uh, you know some subjects that I think that we we do a lot to avoid and we don't uh, really go deep on and we and we only scratch the surface of. Uh, so, I want to wrap with my final question, which you've heard me ask since you you've been listening to our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think that what makes us unmistakable is our essence. Is it is every one of us is unmistakable. It is being able to recognize the unmistakableness of of yourself and of those around you uh, is the trick because we are so often. Uh, blinded by our thoughts, blinded by our thinking, blinded by the endless noise that goes in our head. Uh, we are so often living uh, constantly in our head, living off of the notifications going off in your pocket, uh, off of your iWatch beeping at you. And like, we are so distracted that to recognize it in in the everydayness of right now uh, is is a remarkable gift. Hmm. Well, Lucas, uh, it has been my absolute pleasure to have you here uh, as a guest on the Unmistakable Creative. This has been really, really fascinating and, and mind blowingly cool. And uh, we'll link up everything Lucas has mentioned in the show notes, and we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.